Our stay in Coast City was about to end, so we settled in to grill Green Lantern. We'd seen Carol as the Star Sapphire. What other building blocks would we find of future adventures? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. All right, we're finishing up our Green Lantern coverage for 1963 through 1964, or to 1964, which means we've done the two years of Green Lantern in the last two episodes. Um, last episode was really cool because we had Star Sapphire show up. We had some Sinestro stuff. We're going to have a few more interesting uh, returns and new things happening in this episode that I think are kind of fun, and I kind of want to talk about a little bit about it once it happens um, in the kind of the roundup. Um, of a theme that we're kind of starting to see and something that we're not going to see kind of in the future. Um, so Joanne, I know we have, some of these are kind of lengthy and some of them aren't, but I've kind of shortened them into a, into a way that's easy. So Joanne, we're not going to take too long on some of these, but we're going to move as fast as we can. Uh, we're doing Green Lanterns uh, issues number 18 to 25 today. Uh, so Green Lantern number 18, January 1963. Happy New Year. Uh, Sinestro convinces Green Lantern that his ring is responsible for freezing the world and Thomas and Carol and forces Green Lantern to throw his ring away because it's such a curse and such a terrible, terrible weapon that he uses. And in doing so, Sinestro's like, haha, you have no weapon. Now I can defeat you, Hal Jordan. And Hal's like, psych, I knew it was you doing this. I hid my actual ring. That was a duplicate ring. I'm going to fight you. And he ends up beating Sinestro on Quard with the rest of the Quardians there. And um, it's kind of, we're going to see a couple issues of Green Lantern pretending he is actually in a trap when he apparently through Deus Ex Machina and off panel decisions, he has figured out what's going on. And then we have it revealed in kind of the end in a sort of Sherlock Holmes um, sort of, this was how it was done the whole time kind of a way. And it's very, it very much undercuts the suspense of all the stories that we're going to be seeing. And I figured that was something you were going to talk about, but that's really all we need to say about it is that it really it really deprives the narrative drama of some of these issues. The chief insight that I had on it was that their solution by flashback, but it's the flashback happening after the action is taken. It, so it, to my mind, like the good flashback is like the villain like staring down at the the beaten hero who's like all tied up and such and be like and the hero's like here's the thing you didn't think about and then you have the like you have the flashback that reveals hey i've still got like i've still got the knife or uh i guess a better example would be the in die hard how he's got the gun strapped to his back uh mm. it's he's there and you see it and then he pulls it out and does and saves the day as compared and it's been a while since i've seen die hard which is a weird thing to say but that is how <laughs> i remember that scene goes whereas here it's just hey suddenly in in this he has the gun and he shoots and i had it behind my back the whole time it's like no the the flashback should be to support the conflict that occurs that the hero overcomes with rather than the it was handled by fiat and then explained that is so much less interesting to me uh, i would rather have honestly what i would i would rather have either that diehard kind of situation where the flashback comes or 
the flashback or the revelation happens and then the uh the conflict happens or the star wars thing where han just shows up out of nowhere there's no time wasted on the explanation it's just it's clear you had the change of heart the seeds were laid earlier there's no time wasted trying to be like "Oh, oh look how clever i the writer was it's just nope change his mind he's back we're good and i think you're right i think there is a way to do the i had a solution for this all, the whole time and this is clearly not it and it's just uh it, you, you always got to wonder is it because they're not experienced writers or is it just because this is an inex- this is a, a still kind of a new frontier avenue in in storytelling and we're trying to figure out what we can do with visual storytelling and i think it's a little bit of column a and column b but I agree that is that is kind of there's a way to do that and there's a way to not do it. Um, once we get a little further in this, I'll also talk a little bit more about how that's kind of that is used dramatically with Hal and his constructs, and something that I noticed that I wanted to talk about in these issues specifically. Um, the second story in Green Lantern number eighteen, January nineteen sixty three. Uh, Hal and Thomas go off into the wilderness to test the ring's capabilities, which I actually found to be a very entertaining story of basically leaving the ring on a, a rock and then slowly going further and further away from it to see if Hal could command it to do things. And they figured out that at about a hundred yards, he had less control over it, or he had to really, really, really concentrate. But anywhere within that hundred yard space, he's still able to control it when it's not on his finger. Which I don't think you can do in contemporary Green Lantern comics. There's a lot of things that you can't do in contemporary Green Lantern comics that happen in these stories, and I'll talk about that. Um, then they're like, okay, let's go into a cave and tell the ring to record itself, you know, for, you know, however long we're in there, and then have it report to me while I'm away and see if I can understand the report so I can use it like a surveillance device. Also cool. As they're doing this, they kind of get trapped in the cave for a little bit, and a homeless man or a hobo or a you know boxcar drifter sort of a fellow king of the road stumbles upon the ring and uses it to try and start to get revenge on railway workers that kind of busted him off trains and then also start to just have some sort of you know hodgepodge rampage um Hal, of course, defeats him by, you know, using yellow to stop the guy from doing stuff to him because he doesn't really understand the impurity of the ring. And then he beats him and they send him to jail. The thing I want to talk about here is that even in contemporary comics, you cannot use the ring really if you have not been chosen. Um, There is evidence or situations where people have tried to wield the rings and either it doesn't work or in the case of Green Arrow, it has nearly killed him. Because the sheer force of will that he does not possess nearly sent him into cardiac arrest at one point um, just to shoot a single arrow. He was fighting Sinestro at one point trying to protect Kyle Rayner, who is a Green Lantern from in the future Green Lantern comics, um, while they are stalling. And he picks up Hal's old ring and tries to shoot an arrow with it. And he mentions in the narration that it nearly kills him to do so. And the... The assumption is that people who aren't picked by the rings do not have the willpower to use them. It's not like a lightsaber where you can just kind of pick it up and swing it about. It is actually a physically impossible task to use it if you are not selected. And also, it's hard to kind of wrest from a lantern's grasp if it is not on their finger. The rings have a lot of fail-safes. 
in place to deal with that kind of stuff. So this kind of a scenario will not really happen in the future in Green Lantern comics. There's been a couple issues or a couple scenarios where like a, a character like Deathstroke has almost gotten a ring um, by trying to break Kyle Rayner's hand when they're in like a like a wrist lock. And he's trying to break each of his fingers individually so that he can get the ring off of Kyle's hand. But he's actually having trouble because Kyle is just so willful that he won't back down. And so it's kind of cool when those become the issues and scenarios that we see later in comics. And these sort of like, oh, it fell off my hand or in my pocket and some child is using it or a hobo found it. And now he can cause mass destruction. It's like, yeah, there's got to be some kind of like failsafe here that just prevents it from being a world dominating tool. The other question I had on that, because I actually flagged that as something that I wanted to ask about, so we're we're on the same wavelength. If is it specifically that only a lantern, any lantern, could use the ring? The failsafes don't apply, or is it specific to that lantern, or is that different by story? Depends. Um, green lanterns are able to use other Green Lanterns' rings. Not all of them fit on each other's fingers. <laughs> um, Didn't think of that. Kilowog's hands are larger than Hal's. So his ring is huge. Um, it's kind of things like that. We're like, you know, um, Zax, we'll, we'll come to him at, in this later, the insect lantern, his ring has to fit on his little spindly little insect legs. So some can, some can't, but holding the ring kind of acts as a like, yes, I can still use it. So it depends on the, also it depends on the lantern user. Or, or the lantern themselves. Hal is, to my knowledge, the only lantern who's been able to use a ring from every core. Mm-hmm. And also the only one to use multiple rings of a single core. Both yellow and green. Um, so it's it, it varies depending on who's writing the story. But also, yes, that it does become canon that green lanterns can, in fact, use other lanterns' rings. Because they are of the same stock kind of a thing. However, when the yellow impurity gets worked out of the lanterns... Um, or they become immune to being unable to do something yellow, it becomes a rookie lantern problem that they cannot affect yellow. And veteran lanterns can. Like so that. they kind of they kind of have that situation. Uh, Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern number 19, March 1963. Tomar Ray, remember him, fin-headed fish guy with the beak that we talked about last episode? He's back. Um, Tomar Ray attempts to help Hal and warn him of a space cloud that is going to cause some issues for his ring. Unfortunately, Hal is fighting Sonar, who has been released from prison due to semi-good behavior. Um, Sonar is that guy from Medora who can, you know, use sound waves to attack things. You know, remember, it's, it's literally last episode we talked about this guy. He's from this tiny town that Thomas wanted uh, the... Uh, a stamp from and he's just mad that his country isn't on the global stage um hal is fighting sonar and his ring kind of gets on the fritz and he has to get creative because the space cloud is preventing him from doing what he needs to do it's uh, it's it's hard to explain they don't really give a good explanation as to why it affects his ring but suffice it to say it kind of just makes it go wonky um the next story in 19 is an elderly woman accidentally crosses wires with green lantern's ring and gets to get a message through to him somehow because she has incredible willpower we're just gonna brush over that as you know deus ex machina um and she tells him that there is a horse for a horse-drawn stagecoach that is drinking out of the bird feeder that she continually fills up because and she thinks that the horse is being mistreated and she wants green lantern to check in on it and he's like all right screw it why not i'm not doing anything today um so Hal Jordan goes to check on this bird feeder where there is a horse there. And he's like, well, hell yeah, there is a horse-drawn carriage in the middle of downtown Coast City that is 
trying to drink out of this bird feeder. Hey, knock it off, guy. And the guy's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they find out later that the stagecoach is actually containing robbers who are robbing the banks and using a stagecoach's cover because it is so bizarre that people don't think that that is what is being used. And um, Hal, of course, stops them. But it's just a very strange little, all right, this happened, I guess, kind of a moment. And then he... um, thanks the old woman for alerting him to a potential crime and everybody goes about their day and that was kind of kind of cute but also like why is this a story it, <laughs> it definitely uh, one of my favorite parts of it is the point where hal realizes that he put himself on the hook to solve this because he was like well i guess tell me what your problem is i guess i've yeah. already got you on the phone she's like she rattles it off and he's like you know what this isn't the kind of thing i'd normally do and it's really frankly beneath me but but I'm going to lose face if I don't take care of this. Yeah, he kind, of, he kind of you know, boxed himself into a corner. Uh, Green Lantern number 20, April 1963. A team up. This is actually a fun issue. I like this a lot. Also weirdly, sadly topical due to what's going on at the start of it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Green Lantern number 20 uh, is a team up between him and Flash. Hooray. Uh, Green Lantern and Flash are trying to help um, Coast City deal with what they refer to as a vanishing plague where certain individuals of the town are slowly vanishing in their hospital beds as they get like paler and paler and paler. Um, Green Lantern gets infected with the plague and also disappears and Flash vows while holding onto Green Lantern's ring that he will solve this and find a cure for it. And as he's looking at microscopic samples of people who are vanishing, he realizes that this actually kind of has to do more with tiny little alien people who are making the humans vanish. Um, and meanwhile, in the tiny little alien world uh, of the microids, Green Lantern meets up with the rest of the humans who have disappeared. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And they're like, hey, uh, we're all humans. And they come by every couple of days or so to drain our brain power to power one of their machines to keep the lesser class slaves that they have, the boaters, under heel. And he's like, wow, this seems like a lot of extra steps. And Flash shows up um, by using the ring to shrink himself down and gives it to Green Lantern. He's like, yeah, this all seems pretty wacky and crazy. And the two of them basically do an entire civil uprising on this tiny world, freeing all the humans and freeing the boaters, who are the slave race on Micron, or Micridian is the planet. Um, And uh, he says, hey, boaters, if you want to give us a hand and thank us for helping you out, just make sure that these guys don't do this again. And they're like, got it, no problem. Um, so really, it was that the boaters were actually very intelligent. The microids were keeping them docile by using human brain power to dull them. So they were like dumbing down an entire civilization to keep them under heel. Um, where have we heard that in any sort of country's history that has to do with slavery? Um strangely topical for two different reasons but it's a good story it's actually kind of got some really cool action sequences between green lantern and flash working together lots of cool flash moments and good green lantern construct usage and it's it's neat it's actually a really solid issue and i liked it a lot and i i always kind of enjoy any moment where heroes have to work without powers uh yeah we get a brief bit of that because they're like hey we've taken uh, we've taken Carol and Iris more or less hostage. We've, we've got like a devastator trained on them. Uh, and if you use your powers, it fires. So they have to fight their way through without using their powers. And then they destroy the thing and they can use their powers and we get all the cool stuff. But anytime where it's anytime where it's a non gimmicky use of nah, you got to just you just got to de- determination your way through this. And I always enjoy those. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is cool to see Green, uh, Hal and Barry have to use their personal skills. Um, which you would think Hal would have a lot of them being ex-Air Force. Yep. Like, Hal is an actual combatant. And Barry, being a police forensic scientist, would probably have some measure of training. Not a lot, but some measure of training. Um, I don't imagine they teach a lot of CSIs to do hand-to-hand combat. Um, I'm not entirely certain what it takes to be a CSI, but I think he would have some at this point like i bet he went through the academy and got the basic training regimen and then probably didn't have to keep it up at all but i I I, yeah i don't know i think their physical fitness and probably their like certifications are less strict um than that of beat cops and actual field you know police officers um but yeah i'm sure barry's fine i mean he's part of the justice league he's okay he's got to (laughs) be some level of, of fighting i'm sure batman has been like you throw a punch like an idiot let me teach you how to throw a real one um which is a very Bruce thing to do. Green Lantern number 21, June 1963. Uh, a leading expert on magnetism becomes evil by exposing himself to lots of magnetism and hopes that Green Lantern will stop him from committing crimes because he doesn't really want to, but magnets make him? I want to be clear. This is actually like two months before Magneto debuts. Interesting. That's fun. But it absolutely has the same like 1960s magnets can do anything. Yeah, Master of Magnetism, just watch as I magnet my way through all these situations. I really wanted to do my prerequisite early 2000s internet meme joke of magnets, how do they work, but not like this. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a throwaway storyline in this issue. Um, the next one, however, is really where the meat is at. It is uh, the second story in number 21. Carl Ferris, Carol's dad, returns home. Remember how the whole purpose of Carol being head of Ferris Aircraft was that her dad was gallivanting across the globe with his mother, or with her mother, his wife, and they're just doing stuff? Carl's come back. Um, We find out that, you know, he has asked for a plane to come get him and his wife, and Hal is the pilot that flies them back. And while he's in France uh, with Hal as his pilot, Carl deduces that Hal is Green Lantern. Because while Carl is out assessing paintings because he's a huge art collector for some reason we don't really get an explanation for that but he's just a big fan of art um well he's out buying art um he's basically kidnapped and hal has to go save him as green lantern and there's some dust that is used against him to blind him and the dust gives him a rash and of course because he's got his domino mask on the rash is left in the shape of the domino mask on his face with like the open area there and while he is flying back carl ferris to america carl's like you look like you have a mask on. You must be Green Lantern, blah, blah, blah. And then he tells Carol, he's like, well, obviously, Carol, he's Green Lantern. Can't you figure, figure this out? And Carol's like, of course, I will propose to him tonight. I may be misremembering, but I thought it was that she was ready to assume that Hal Jordan was the same as Green Lantern and Hal had to disprove by being like, oh, I got the same reaction because I'm <sighs> yeah, eating right. the same thing that I ate that night. You're right. He 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 uses the ring to give himself a rash in the exact same pattern. And that disproves that the mask is there and not a thing. So, yes, you're correct. Um, Either way, it's like for someone who is very determined, like Carol is, to be to have this one piece of evidence and have her go from full steam ahead to, well, I guess you're not. It's eh, it's still it's it's a gimmick out for a secret identity story and those always are profoundly unsatisfying to me yes 
Um, not to mention, however, this is a, this is a big point. Carl retires and gives Carol full control over uh, Ferris Aircraft, and she is the sole owner and operator now of the air, of the aircraft company. So Carol will forever be Hal's boss at this point. I, um, this is a this is a sign of how much I was just kind of mad about the end of this story and that particular resolution of the secret identity. I'd completely forgotten that that was the case. Like it yeah. was, it was almost tossed out as an aside of, yeah. And he's retiring for permanent. It is. It's she invites Hal over for dinner and she just kind of says that as she's walking him into the apartment. Um, Green Lantern number 22, July, 1963. Hector Hammond is backed. If you don't remember Hector Hammond, he is the uh, scientist who got exposed to an evolutionary accelerating meteorite thing several dozen issues of green lantern back one of the first real bad guys that hal ever fought um and he has used more fragments of the evolutionary advancement meteor to turn himself even smarter his head has grown grown much larger but he is now immobile and cannot speak and cannot move um but he can think real good and use telekinesis and psychic powers and powers of will to do things and to make people do what he wants um effectively what he ends up trying to do is trying to control green lantern's ring from afar with his new willpower based power set and hal tries to track down who's doing it and finds that it's hector hammond and as he fights hector hammond who is a pretty much paralyzed individual when he realizes that hammond is trying to just control his ring he just straight up sucker punches him and I tried really hard to not laugh at the fact that Green Lantern just straight up decked a guy sitting in a chair. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's really mean. But it was kind of all he could do. Um, so Hector Hammond is like, well, shit, this didn't work out the way that I thought it would. Because he, tr- he actually effectively gets the ring off of Hal's finger by like forcing it with willpower off. And Hal is like, well, shit, I still have fists. <laughs> just punches him that's kind of sad but also very funny muscle lantern yeah muscle lantern uh second story in this issue is hal has to help jim his little brother um uh pretend that he's green lantern at a costume party with his girlfriend sue because sue's the reporter still thinks that jim is green lantern because of course she does we covered this also i think in the last issue or rather last episode that nah, drinks around me um the highwayman colonial highwayman criminal dude that they encounter in a previous issue has broken out of jail and jack hal and jim's older brother is district attorney and their uncle is a judge and jack and their uncle were the ones who put the guy away in jail so he has escaped and he's going to try and hurt them they think he's going to try to do this at the costume party and hal has to covertly help jim pretend to be green lantern to stop the co- the bad guy a lot of quirky sort of hanna-barbera moments but it's kind of a cute story and it saves hal from revealing his secret identity while also fueling this weird sort of superman lois lane relationship between sue and jim that is shoved off to the side and kind of funny but also i'd like to point out that hal's family is very legally inclined um yes the bit that first off i mean it's probably it's probably a JFK or rather a Kennedy's reference, mm. right? Like it, it you feels kind of in that vein. Yeah. I would actually 
think that that might be a real direct sort of a joke is that you know the brothers jordan are a reference to the kennedys the other thing that comes to mind this is the bit that gets me like (laughs) so i i freely admit liberal arts major and not a i'm not fully versed in legal process uh but they specifically say that I think it was Jack was the district attorney, uh, eh, district attorney who put away, uh, or who prosecuted uh, Red Roberts. I don't remember mm-hmm. his name. Uh, and the uncle was the one who sentenced. That seems like a major conflict of interest to have a relative of the judge be the prosecutor. But hey, it's it's a story. It's not something they dwell on. It's just something I felt I had to note. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that is actually a legal situation that you can't have that. But then again, Jack being the district attorney doesn't necessarily mean he was the lawyer involved. It just means he was the person who probably fought this, who who drove the city to make the decision on the prosecution. I think the line they used was uh, who prosecuted him. Well, then that's, yeah, then you're right. Then that is a weird sort of scenario. Either way, it's, it's awkward. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Green Lantern number 23, September 1963. Green Lantern fights a sailor with special ink tattoos that turn into the... that physically manifest the thing that the tattoo shows. So essentially, it's got if he's got a tattoo of a jet plane on his arm, he can touch the jet plane, and the plane comes off of his body and attacks Green Lantern. Same thing with multiple other things that he has on his body. Um, this is just the tattooed man. is a real DC character that shows up once in a blue moon. Um, and he's very much a Silver Age villain. But he finds some experimental ink in a facility as he's trying to get away after conducting a robbery. Has the ink tattooed onto him after realizing that he can make things with the ink come true or to life. And just becomes a criminal. Uh, Green Lantern beats him by overtaxing him by making him use too many tattoos at once. Which means he can't really concentrate on what's going on. And then he just gets a good solid punch in and knocks him out. Second story here is Green Lantern helps Zax, another Green Lantern, X-A-X. Who is a tiny little grasshopper dude on a little planet full of sentient bugs and there are some bug terrorists who try to who are trying to set off nuclear bombs on the planet and green lantern shows up and he's like whoa this is kind of intense for the tiny scale of your conflict and zax is like i know right could you help me by like causing a distraction while i find a way to like melt the yellow armor that they have made for themselves so that i can get them to be weak enough for my ring to use and he's like yeah sure I just really didn't understand why Hal didn't just start swatting bugs, but I feel like the level of murder that that would be, because we have turned that we have created them as sentient, would be a little bit not okay. Um, but it was just kind of a funny image to see Hal standing in the middle of a sprawling metropolis that was only up to his knees. Um, and I just thought that was kind of a cute visual. And they were like, ah, look at the giant Green Lantern who can't do anything to us because we're covered in yellow. And I was like, this is actually kind of adorable and I love it. <laughs> that Hal was like, what am I doing here, man? Plus, it isn't immediately apparent at some points that there is the size differential because there are so many scenes like setting up the conflict between Zax and the uh, the other like criminal insects, and it's just okay. There's no scale, and then and then there is, and it's hilarious. Yeah. It's really great. He's really just like I a grasshopper. Like, yeah, I like the varying varieties of green lanterns that we're seeing and the fact that Hal is not just going to other planets for the sake of going to other planets, but finding entirely different civilizations that he then has to participate with and find a way to help that green lantern instead of solving the problem himself. 
It's not, I am here, therefore we can solve this. It is, how do I help you do what you need to do? And that sense of the other person or species or world being a real thing is helped by the fact that they're being grounded in something existing. They're being grounded as a Green Lantern protected world. They're part of that loose affiliation as compared to like Flash goes to a random planet, has an adventure, then comes home and we never see that planet again. Or maybe we will, but it's there's nothing, there's no assumption that that is part of something ongoing. Uh, and even Green Lantern has these adventures like why are what is the what are the odds that we'll see the mic microdians or whatever again yeah, my, yeah uh, there are some other like go to a planet have an adventure uh kind of stories but but this feels more real because it has the assumption of this is something that is part of something bigger yeah uh green lantern number 24 october 1963 a shark Gets evolved due to nuclear testing and turns into a, a man, person, shark hybrid thing that has a lot of powerful psychic and willpower based abilities. And it realizes that Green Lantern is probably the greatest prey on Earth because he is the only man that he cannot scare. And so he's like, therefore, I must beat him and, and feed on him. And it's very, it's a very weird, like, matchup here. The shark guy can do at all with his powers. Like, he can just do things. Like, he turns an entire hangar bay into yellow so that Green Lantern can't do anything to it. Um, he makes himself super big and then is small again. It's very strange. He can do kind of anything. And eventually, Green Lantern just uh, <laughs> devolves him and turns him into a shark and then they put him in jail in a giant shark tank with a bunch of guards and tom tommy machine guns pointed at the shark tank <laughs> it's really stupid but i was like i don't think the shark can do anything anymore because its brain isn't the same now that it's not evolved <laughs> yeah it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> yeah it's it's there's a lot going on there um, the second story is a sentient planet tries to befriend Green Lantern as he passes by it, and when he befriends the planet after figuring out that he can communicate with it, he helps remove a thing, a power source inside of it that is causing some tectonic shifts and jettisons that into space, and the planet's really thankful. It's it's like a planet cancer. Yeah, for lack of a better term. This is, I assume, the precursor to Mogo, See, the sentient Green Lantern planet. That's the thing, like, reading this, I assumed it was going to be Mogo, uh, and the fact that it wasn't, I was constantly doing that comparison in my head, so the story f was unsatisfying to me, really through no fault of its own, but because I had this retrospective assumption of, here is what the sentient planet story should be in terms of long-term impact, and what that character should be, like... Instead, it's just, it's a sentient planet instead of a sentient planet who's a green lantern. Right. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, there is a green lantern of Green Lantern Corps called Mogo, M-O-G-O, who is literally a sentient planet that also has a power battery installed inside of it that can do green lantern stuff. It can move in its own orbit. It can move out of its orbit and travel across the universe. Um it is also later in Green Lantern uh, mythology revealed to be the psychic antenna 
used to send the rings out to new lanterns. Does Mogo have an oath? Mogo doesn't speak. Okay. As far as I know. Um but I don't know cuz the thing powering the planet is a power battery. So, don't know. Um I have never seen Mogo speak nor recharge itself, but sometimes it doesn't need to because it's a giant planet. Um Green Lantern number 25 December 1963. From prison, Hector Hammond attempts to control Sonar um, and use Sonar to fight Green Lantern. So Hector Hammond essentially gets into Green Lantern's brain, throws a theoretical situation of Sonar fighting him at Green Lantern, and watches Green Lantern defeat Sonar, then goes, okay, this is how he's going to beat him. I'm now going to mind control Sonar to fight Green Lantern now that I know how to beat him because I've seen how he solves every problem. And he captures Green Lantern by using basically Green Lantern's own ring through sonar. Green Lantern uses sonar's weapon to vibrate himself out of his own construct and then uses sonar's weapons to beat him, take the ring back, and send him back to jail. Hector Hammond, meanwhile, still in jail this whole time because he's using his willpower from jail and can't move, is like, curse is foiled again. I guess I'll have to find somebody else to, to do this with. So that is the final story that we're covering. Um, couple things lot of enemies who have willpower-based telekinetic attacks to fight HAL. This is a thing we don't see a lot of now in contemporary comics because the comics are pretty much space cop drama, um, fighting the other cores, etc. The idea of villains, specifically terrestrial Earth supervillains with willpower that are contentious to his own, is interesting. And a fun way to cause problems for the character to see kind of how they exercise their will to try and defeat him. Uh, Hector Hammond is very roundabout, trying to control the ring, trying to control sonar. The shark man thing um, was effectively trying to attack Green Lantern's psyche itself and make him afraid and scare him. So those were kind of unique and creative, and I thought that that was fun. Um... Something I notice in these stories, now that I'm looking at it more thoroughly, is every time Green Lantern does something with his ring, he has to describe it for the reader. He has to explain, I'm going to make a giant pair of pincers to grab the car- to grab XYZ so I can do this. Because they're not certain that what they are showing can be clearly expressed through the visual medium of comics. So they're having the character narrate what he's doing with his powers... To explain to you, this is why he has created a, bun- a giant pair of tongs, or a broom, or whatever. Um, interesting. That will become less commonplace as the characters begin to use whatever they use to fight, and the artists and writers become more creative. But in so much as the you know baby steps version of how this works, it's kind of cool to see that we are seeing the evolution of how Green Lantern's powers are used over time and how the writers and artists have to express that because they're trying to be creative, but they're just betting that the reader doesn't quite 100% make the leap of logic that they're trying to make. I wonder how much of that is, how much of that uncertainty and not being able to trust that the reader will follow is because of the dot matrix printing and not being able to have as sharp and clearly delineated of lines and inks and 
just in general, it won't look as sharp. I, I wonder if a lot of the shift will be when they eventually shift over to, I don't know what the more modern coloring process is called, or if it's something that's just as time goes on and artists are better at expressing it, they stop worrying as much. Hmm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like everything, everything is explained in a, in a way that is similar to those narration boxes that we've sort of talked about for any kind of action. All right. Shall I dive into my stuff? Yes, sir. So here's something that changed in issue 20, well, 21 a little bit and 22 as well. Uh, we're starting to get Carol and Green Lantern stories again, specifically where he Carol is interested in Green Lantern instead of Carol being interested in Hal. Uh, and we'd actually talked a little bit about this in the opposite sense in the last issue. Like we were, or mm, last episode, uh, mm. we were, we were happy that it wasn't that, Carol was being interested in Green Lantern and Hal was sort of her fallback, but she was really like she was spending time with Hal. She was going on dates with Hal. And now suddenly that is just flipped. Uh and it seems to have flipped entirely. In issue 21, it was uh when uh Carl Compton Ferris comes back and she is interested in green lantern and she says as much and she only is proposing to or thinking about proposing to hal in order to get to green lantern uh and then 22 uh is the more archetypal story of carol and green lantern are working together on a child's charity thing and they're spending time planning stuff and it's like oh this is like we're engaged uh and he leaves each time he leaves her each time to go take care of whatever is flaring up um it's just a complete change from where we had been and i actually i did some poking because it felt like it had been a while and it had the we went from really like issue 21 or maybe issue 20 of green lantern uh it coming back to being green lantern and carol you have to go all the way back to issue five for a time where Carol really unequivocally is saying Green Lantern is the one that she's crazy about. Uh, there hmm. are certainly points throughout where, like issue 16, Carol says that you know, she's thinking about how she prefers Hal, but she, feel, she feels kind of the same way about Green Lantern. She has the same feeling that he inspires in her, uh, and it's making her relationship with Hal more confusing. You really don't have, like the Lois Lane Superman thing until all 15, I guess 17 issues previously. And it makes me sad because at first, uh, apparently issue, uh, 22 was a Gardner Fox story. So it was like, maybe it's just when Gardner Fox got involved, he started telling it this way, but nah, it, it seems like our new status quo is green lantern and Carol. And we're back to that. Well, the other bit that this one frustrated me uh i realized something reading these stories it it started off with thomas because thomas is mostly used i think we might have even talked about this in the last episode uh thomas is used as a framing device 
uh, a lot of the time it's he starts off the story with hey let me start writing down this adventure that uh, Green Lantern had and then adventure happens and then it comes back to him recording it and talking about it with GL and getting it right and then they share a laugh and and the story is done and I I did a little more digging and it there really aren't many stories where anybody else does anything villains yes absolutely they they take action but in terms of like another person getting involved in the action or even like midway through the story like not in not just in like act one in setting the stage but really getting involved in how it plays out it really happens uh i had it down as five times i think yeah, uh, five stories where someone else is really involved. Uh, you have a bunch mm. of times where, like, hey, scientists will explain, hey, here's the situation, and then and then they go through with things. But even the the team up with Flash that we talked about with the mid Midrians, I don't, I, I've already forgotten. Small uh, bad guys. Yeah, uh, they get shrunk down, and, or. Green Lantern gets shrunk down. He talks with the scientists. The scientists just give him in- information. They're not giving him like a tool for here's how you can beat the mini bad guys. It's just here is the situation. They're sapping our brain power in order to do this thing. They're not participating in the breakout. There, there isn't anybody else helping with the combat other than uh, Flash. And that's kind of the trend. Like Tomar Ray uh, trying to send a message about the storm galactic storm cloud going through like he's kind of involved because apparently his message eventually gets through on a subconscious level and Hal knows to protect himself yada yada uh but it's not involved in any way the person who is most the people who are most involved in the like the actual meat of the story are flash as mentioned during that team up uh carol's dad like marks the painting that is going that is going to be like uh he's it's the one he wants to buy and then that's how he discovers it's a forgery so he gets kidnapped as at least he has some agency there carol and thomas are not never involved in the meat of the story uh they they're just the ones who get left behind hal's family has the most direct involvement jim knocks out the mayor who's dressed as red roberts or whatever red peters i don't remember uh, and in so doing reveals that, oh, the, the real criminal is here. Uh, Zach's is involved. Uh, that's it. Like this, these are fundamentally stories about Green Lantern shows up, he gets information and he has the meat of the challenge with the villain who has agency and is interesting, but we don't even get like the Doiby Dickles situation where there's a, a sidekick getting involved. It really is. These are just stories about how it's not bad necessarily. It's just, yeah, they're they're They don't lack anything, but it is also less interesting. Yeah. Without, without the supporting cast filling things out as opposed to, yes, the universe is getting fleshed out by having characters like Zach's without the supporting cast doing anything. It is, it's Aquaman. Yeah. It makes the universe less alive if none of the el- those elements are playing a role. Like we don't even have we don't even have the shitty thing of Carol being constantly in danger. 
Carol's never even threatened in a direct way, except the one time, never even threatened in a direct way. There's the time where the Devastator's pointed at her, but she's just on a TV screen, and I don't think she's even aware that she would get hurt if something went wrong. The other thing I want to call out is, you talked a bit about this, like the kind of fiat solutions of, hey, I I realize this thing, uh, and as a result, like I subcon, I gave uh, the ring this order so that even when we were separated, it would come back when X thing happened or those kinds of uh, mystery reveals. The other issue with that is it means that we have these moments where Hal is shown to be either fallible or outthought. Uh and then they get taken away from us. And for, for specifically, the first time it happens uh, is Hal deciding that the ring is uh, cursed and he throws it away. Uh, before that, like he has a moment, specifically the moment when he accidentally freezes everyone, when he is where he is mind controlled in mind pushed into freezing everybody. Like it's a moment of anger. Like he is angry with. Uh, Thomas because of, of something it's something that he gets a little annoyed that's about it yeah and he freezes everything and we have that moment of this is a character for whom being hot-headed is eventually going to be a big thing like the fact that and reacting overreacting and lashing out are going to be so critical to how his character exists in the 90s when when we get into parallax and the uh the stuff that happens to uh coast city and how he reacts like this is a character who is fundamentally flawed isn't quite the right word but fallible is yeah and been been defined by that and we don't get that we get the anti that we get the this oh you think it's this no don't worry too perfect yeah Oh, something else I've also thought of just because it came to mind while I was looking back at my own notes. When the hobo gets the ring um, for that issue where he kind of, where Hal is testing the capabilities of the ring, the first thing he does is he makes food. The rings can't create organic matter. Um, at least in contemporary comics. So that is also a thing that will go away because the idea is that like well if they can create organic matter why don't they just end world hunger yeah uh so just a just a thing to point out that another thing that will change in the history of the comics is that the constructs are constructs of hard light they are not and like hard light willpower they are not actual they are not actually the things that they look like and so it was like, oh, I just wish I had like a melon right now. And he makes a watermelon. And it's like, that's, that doesn't, that's not how this works. That's not how the rings work. So it was just a thing that I, I noticed and I wanted to point out again. I just remember looking at my notes. Yeah, it it is actually a little bit interesting that we're not in an era where it feels like there are writers who would want to like science eyes uh the capabilities of these of the ring of flash's power all those things but i guess they're really they really haven't shown that interest in locking themselves down in that way instead it's just adding capabilities and saying "Eh, this is a thing they can do and 
now we can draw on that at any point. Uh, but it's it's so weird in some ways coming from an era right now where the like the cinema sins and game theories of the world sort of make us want to make a science out of these capabilities. And here's mm. just an era where that's not even slightly the case. Yeah, it is just it can, it it was it's basically a magic lamp. Yep. <laughs> That about does it for my end. All right. Why don't you go ahead and start us with recommendations? All right. So I brought this one up in our uh, pre-roll conversation. Uh, there's a platformer that years and years and years ago, uh, maybe even as much as 10 years ago, I'm not maybe, maybe five, had a demo that was one of the purest, best-feeling platformers I'd ever played. Just beautiful pixelated graphics very it felt very cave story in a way because it was also an an indie Mm. developer making a thing and it was maybe 30 minutes one boss battle some fun little just traversal a cool little like jump up wrench hook yourself onto a thing and then jump off from there and it just felt so good and you and then the project was just stopped and i followed the person on twitter and every once in a while i'd see something and it finally came out like a year or so ago and the game is iconoclasts and i am so much of a mixed mind on this because on the one hand it you can't maintain perfection for a full like full length game and this is i think i'm pushing like 15 hours or something like that around there uh, maybe a little less but at the same time like i liked how perfect it was in that small form but now it's still pretty good like there are some it feels extremely good to do the platforming when it works when when everything is clicking and you're just in the zone and you know where to go and it has these not quite puzzle box isn't the right word but areas that you just learn as you traverse back and forth through it and you every area is figure outable on a relatively short time frame like it everything clicks into place really nicely when you're like oh i need to move power this thing so that it moves that there and then use this thing uh, so that that moves and then i can get through this area that kind of puzzling works so well and even when it doesn't it's relatively quick uh i'm not the best at puzzle games by any means uh and i haven't had to use a walkthrough and i Mm. love that about this it is it is pushing my brain but eventually i know i'm going to get it and i love that satisfaction and the the bosses it's like I'll go through the same loop a bunch of times of the first time I try a boss, it doesn't, I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how this works. Oh, that's how this, this, this works, which means if I do this and now it's just executing on that. And the whole loop is like maybe 10 to 15 minutes per boss. And so it's, it's got that tight loop that the challenge and then the satisfaction and it works, but I can't call it perfect in the way that I used to. Hmm. Uh, but that being said, like it's still really good. And honestly, if you played it for an hour and then you put it down, you would have a perfect platforming experience in some ways. 
So that that is my recommendation. I do recommend Iconoclasts. It's like probably like ten to fifteen bucks. Uh, it's on Steam. It plays beautifully. It looks good. It has an interesting story that I think reaches more than it succeeds, but it still generates some good moments. Yeah, play it. Um, there's a game on I think consoles as well as uh, PC that I haven't played in a while, but it is something kind of fun in the vein of like I know Animal Crossing is out right now, and a lot of people are playing that. Same thing with like Stardew Valley. Um, I haven't played Animal Crossing. I haven't really played any of those games. Not just be, not because I don't want to, it's just because I haven't. Um, but there's one on consoles called Slime Rancher, mm. and it's basically a game where you grow, discover, and like take care of little slime creatures on an alien planet. It's very cute. It's very relaxing. Um, yes, there's a little bit of a combat element, but it's just like, oh, don't go the da- don't go near the dangerous ones. Because they, you know, hurt you kind of a thing. Um, However, it is fun. It's fun. It's cute. It's got kind of a zen aspect to it. The environments are really interesting and kind of beautiful. It's a little floaty and less... It's not a realistic looking game either. So folks who have kind of that motion sickness thing with first person games might not have that because it doesn't look too real. Um... It's cute. I would recommend playing it if you haven't found it yet online. Uh, it's called Slime Rancher. The next uh, stories that we are going to cover are going to be the Hawks. We're going back to, you know, Thanagar and Midway City, and this should be interesting. I'm curious to see what they've what, what they've been up to for a while. Because remember, this is kind of one of those situations like the Challenges of the Unknown, where these are characters who are not part of the JLA. So. What they do, kind of like Adam Strange and the Challengers, is a little bit up in the air, a little bit up for grabs, and we can kind of see what's going on with that. Um, And trying to tie that into a larger narrative isn't necessarily needed. And I'm curious what their their deal is going to be, because they have been a little bit more uh, back and forth as far as their story goes, where they go to Thanagar, come back to Earth, and, you know, the only other character that they've kind of interacted with who is part of the Justice League is the Atom. So I'm, I'm interested to see if the Atom shows up in any of the Hawk stories. So that'll be fun. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. We hope you all have a wonderful afternoon. Please stay safe. Keep in touch with each other. We love you all. And we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so, our time in Coast City ended on a bit of a down note. Green Lantern's adventures were still fun, but some of the magic was rubbing off. We waited as he soared away, gone until we checked in with Justice League again. For now, our travel plans were set. We were off to see two more high-flying heroes.